Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Let's Do the Books monthly call with Mark, shop talk, whatever we call it. If you're listening to this on the podcast archive, you may want to go ahead and uh, start hitting that forward button a couple times, 30 seconds forward, 15 seconds forward, because I'm going to let some dead air play here while wait for people to start showing up. So talk to you in a second. Hey everybody, welcome to the monthly call with Mark. We're going to start today by talking about a couple of questions that have been on my mind and also questions that I get pretty consistently from people. In fact, very consistently over the last eight years, coming up on eight and a half years that I've been working with life coaches and freelancers on their money. And if you remember, I think it was in a recent monthly call with Mark where I said I was going to send out a survey. And the survey would say, hey, how do you want to look at your numbers? When do you want to look at your numbers? And what I found was I, I didn't send out a survey, but I had a few one-off interactions with clients asking them those questions. And uh, I basically got two answers. The first answer I got, which was the less common answer, is, yeah, right around the first of the month, I'd like to look at my numbers. I want to see how much revenue I brought in. I want to see how much money I spent. And that's pretty much it. I want to see money out. I want to see money in. And I want to see the difference between the two. That's, that's pretty much what people who are looking at their numbers at all, that's what they're looking at. And the second answer, the much more common answer that I get to that question, when I ask, what do you want to look at? What numbers do you want to look at? And when do you want to look at them? The most common answer I've gotten to that question over the last eight years is, uh, you tell me, I don't know. You tell me what numbers to look at. You tell me what to care about because I don't know what to care about, which I think is a, a very fair answer. And I think that one of the challenges we face here, maybe the biggest challenge we face here is that I think because of our educational system, I think because of the sort of financial self-help industry and what a diversity of ideas there is in that industry and how there are thousands upon thousands of books about the topic of money and how much emotion we have wrapped up in money. I think many of us believe that there's a lot to it. And uh, whenever somebody signs up for bookkeeping, not every time, but a high percentage of the time, I'll look at the intake form that many of you filled out when you joined the bookkeeping service. And the bookkeeping or the intake form asks something like, you know, what does the ideal scenario look like for you? Or what, what's your number one concern as you, as you sign up for our bookkeeping service? And so much of the time I get an answer on that intake form that says, I just want to get it right. I just want to be smart. I don't want to make dumb decisions. I don't want to get caught off guard. I think all of that is coming from, on some level, it's coming from the belief that you have that there's a lot to this and that it's complex and that it's sneaky and that it can, it can hurt you. It can hurt you some, in some way. And so I want to say that although that's not completely untrue, we definitely need to have our ducks in a row when it comes to filing our taxes. We want to pay the state their money. We want to pay the government, the, the federal government, their money so that they kind of leave us alone. Yeah, we want to get those things done. But the, the simple fact is there's just not much to that. There just isn't. There's not a lot for you to know about or worry about day to day, especially if you have 
uh, a bookkeeper, which you do, and a tax professional that you like and that you trust. Because then when you get when you get letters from the government, you just go to your tax professional and you say, hey, what do I do with this? And honestly, the majority of the time, the answer is going to be, you don't do anything with that. It's not something you need to worry about. So instead of asking you what numbers you should look at, I'm just going to give you some thoughts about here's what you, here's what I would encourage you to think about as it relates to the management of your money day to day and month to month in your business. I, I feel confident that in businesses like mine and yours, checking in on your money once a month is absolutely sufficient. I don't know what you would look at if you were looking at it more often than that. I mean, you could, you could keep checking back, you know, has any more money landed? Has any more money landed? Funny story about that. Before I was a bookkeeper, before I had the confidence that I do when it comes to business money kinds of things, I, was in, I had a business partnership and I was in charge of the money and we took all of our payments through PayPal. And I would sign into PayPal every morning and anxiously transfer every penny from the PayPal account over to our business checking account. And I, I just sort of, I think I was, I know I was anxious. I mean, uh, was a lot younger, was new to having a mortgage, was new to having a kid to provide for. And I was anxious about the money. So I thought for some reason that maybe my anxiety would be alleviated if I logged into PayPal every single day and transferred the money over from PayPal to checking as though that was going to do anything uh, to really impact my finances. But it was just sort of this anxious activity that I was engaged in when that didn't really matter that much. So eventually when I calmed down and I sort of figured out my own personal workflow with money, looking at my, my business finances once a month is just absolutely sufficient. Now, what am I looking at when I look at my business finances? At the most basic level, I am looking at how much money came in from clients and from different projects, because maybe I have my bookkeeping revenue. I have more my, like my CFO revenue. I do a fair amount of coaching that's not directly related to managing people's money. So I do life coaching. I do some business coaching. I'll look at how much came in from that. And I will see how those numbers compare to each other. That might, and that, that sounds like very simple sentences like, oh, um, CFO money used to account for 90% of my revenue. And now CFO, CFO money accounts for 15% of my revenue. That's interesting. What do I think of that? Oh, well, it's because life coaching and business coaching has crept up in my business. It's, it's increased and pure bookkeeping. Let's do the books has increased. So there's been this shift in my business away from being the CFO for seven figure coaches to the bookkeeper for all kinds of coaches and also a life and business coach for whoever wants to coach with me. That shift in my business is showing up in my numbers. And when I do my monthly review, I can say, oh, that's interesting. What do I think of that? Do I like that trend? Do I want to continue with that trend? I'll also look at, oh, you know, bookkeeping, uh, bookkeeping revenue, for example, which is my number one focus. I want Let's Do the Books to grow over the next couple of years. I'll look at how does let's do the books revenue look this month versus the historical average or versus this last year at the same time. And I'll notice things like, Oh, bookkeeping revenue has grown 40% in the last six months or actually more accurate uh, today would be in over the last say nine months in the first six months of those 
bookkeeping revenue grew 40%. And in the last three months, it's leveled off actually. Oh, that's interesting. What do I make that mean? Uh, Oh, and then I go look and say, oh, I've had some churn. I've had some clients leave. I've had some clients come. And so it's kind of, it's stable, but it isn't growing quite as quickly. Okay. What do I want to do about that? These are all the things that I'm using my numbers to spark. I'm not looking at anything as right. I'm not looking at anything as wrong. I'm using the information to sort of inform my thinking about my business. That's what I do with the revenue. Then I'll look at expenses. I'll look at, in my case, I have a, well, I used to have a small team. Now I have a team of me plus one. So my team has shrunk over the last uh, four or five months. So my payroll has shrunk a lot over the last four or five months. And I'll ask myself, okay, what do I want to make that mean? Am I reallocating that money? What am I doing with that money? Oh, actually, my revenue overall has dipped kind of in, uh, in a way that corresponds to the dip in payroll. So I've lowered my payroll a lot, but I've also seen my revenue dip as I've, as I've had some CFO clients transition out. So there isn't a lot of extra cash in the business, even though I've lowered my payroll. That's interesting. Note to self, I want to keep my payroll as reasonable as possible because having my payroll dip when my revenue dipped meant that my family wasn't quote unquote injured by the change, right? My, my ability to do things in my personal life wasn't really impacted, even though my revenue dipped. That's good information for me to have. You'll notice that as I talk about these things, I'm talking about them in broad terms because that's the only way I personally deal with these things is in broad terms. I look at higher level numbers and, and sort of longer term trends, and then I explore my own thoughts and feelings about those numbers. But there isn't a right or wrong. And one of my goals as a, as a, as a guide, as a coach, for people who come into my space is that there is no right and wrong as it relates to your money. There's just information and you can do whatever you want with that information. So I look at revenue, look at those trends. I look at uh, human expenses in the form of payroll and contractors and notice, are those numbers going up over time? Are they going down over time? Are they, are they averaging out over time? If they're changing significantly, where's that change coming from? Oh, and you might say, oh, it's because I hired that one new person. You're just bringing these things into your awareness. And then I'm looking at the bottom line number. I'm looking at what was the profit? What's revenue minus expenses? And if that number is positive, then how positive is it? If it's negative, how negative is it? Is it negative, but it's isolated, meaning didn't make uh, the business didn't make a profit this month, but it has made a profit every other month? That's information I can consider. I can also look at, uh, oh, it's not isolated. I've got six months in a row now where I've been spending more in the business than the business has generated. What do I want to make that mean? What do I think is driving that? Is it the humans that are driving that human cost payroll contractors? Is it a dip in revenue? If it's a dip in revenue, what's the dip in revenue coming from these, these become sort of dominoes that or, or I guess threads that I'll tug on and I just follow them see where they lead if they lead anywhere. And at the end of it, all I'm looking for is a check-in with myself where I say, I like the trend. I like, I like what I see. I feel good about what I see or, oh, I need to make some changes. 
I think I need to, I think I would like to spend less in these areas or more in those areas. Or I think I'd like to re-energize myself for uh, acquiring new clients because I want, I want the growth to come, you know, in my case, I want it to grow in bookkeeping. How am I going to get my next 20 bookkeeping clients? All I'm doing with my numbers is trying to spark my thinking and help direct myself for the next month, quarter, year. What I'm never doing is looking at my numbers to decide whether or not I'm good or bad, uh, a success or a failure ahead or behind. I never do. I used to, and I stopped. It's a dead end. It's just a dead end. Uh, so that's where I am with sort of looking at the numbers on a, on a month to month basis. And I truly think that monthly is plenty. If you're looking at it more than monthly, my question would be, Hey, are you, are you worried about something? What, where's your, what's your anxiety? Uh, another thing I want to say about this, and then I, I want to open it up to Q and A, cause maybe some of you have some questions along these lines. I get lots of, uh, not lots. I get some emails. I get some emails from newer business owners because of our sliding scale fee structure. Let's do the books is really well suited to newer business owners. And I love that. And many of those people, when they come into the service will say, Hey, I want to follow a good method for dealing with my business finances. So tell me what to do. And I will as I, as, I, uh, as I said in today's email, I will provide you with 20 or 30 minutes of video that kind of guide you through how I manage cash in a business. You, I think, will be shocked at how simple it actually is. And, I, and I'm excited to share that. For the newer business owner who is saying, okay, I just want to get the money right from day one. I want to sort of push you away from that thinking gently. Here's what I mean you don't really have any money to manage. There's nothing to manage for the most part. Early, early in your business, your, your, your business checking account balance is probably pretty low, but that's because you're in a new business, not because anything is going wrong. In fact, it's probably true that you occasionally are having to transfer money from your personal life into your business to fund coaching, to fund a new website, to fund uh, a trip to a, an event that you want to attend. So it's really your personal finances that need to be managed because they're, they're the investor in this new business. The business doesn't have a lot of money to manage or to think about. So if you're a newer business owner with a relatively low business checking account balance, 99% of your thoughts and energy should be on meeting your next client. Let's get some money into the checking account and then we can divide it up and have fun with it. But in the short term, there's just not a lot to manage. And the next thing I would say to that up and coming coach who says, I just want to be smart with my money, then I'll say, okay, then just pay very close attention to the coaching programs that you purchase. Don't be FOMO driven. If you're driven by FOMO, you're going to spend thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on programs that may or may not relate to you meeting and signing your next client. The number one cash management advice I would give to a newer coach, this actually doesn't change that much for a more established coach. The number one advice would be 
check in with yourself about whether the next multi-thousand dollar purchase that you make actually relates meaningfully to your ability to meet and enroll new clients. And if it doesn't, just pause. I mean, you can still do it and you may be glad you did it. I'm not anti that. I just don't like it when people do it ignorantly or without that little extra pause where they say, wait, why am I actually doing this? Um, if I were going to write an ebook about how coaches can manage their money, it would be a one page ebook, maybe a one paragraph ebook. And it would say, spend less on coaching when the reason for the purchase is FOMO. That's pretty much the whole ebook. Who has questions about what numbers they want to look at or think they should be looking at? And um, managing cash in a business, what's on anybody's mind? Taxes, I didn't even talk about taxes. Who has any questions that you want to put in the chat or jump on the screen with me live? Oh, great question, Jenny. Thank you. How, I, absolutely, taxes. How much to save for taxes? Here's some. Here's a very... I mean, when I say general rule of thumb, I mean, I'm putting the biggest possible disclaimer on this because you need to be consulting with a tax professional. That is a piece of advice I'll give pretty enthusiastically. Once you have a business, don't prepare your own taxes. Hire a bookkeeper and hire someone to prepare your taxes. That's sort of very early stage thing that all of us need to do. Ask me about the time I prepared my own taxes and the IRS. Oh, and I and awarded myself a big refund, by the way. Uh, the IRS sent me a letter six weeks or so later, and the, the letter basically said, you know, LOL, no. You're not, you're not getting a refund. In fact, you owe us money. What, what have you done? And I went back to my accountant and said, yeah, I think you're going to do the taxes. So don't try to prepare your own taxes. Um. Very speaking in very broad terms, when your business is new, when it's say making less than six figures in profit. Now, remember, profit is the money that's left over after the business pays its expenses. You know, set aside somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of every dollar for taxes. You can follow the videos I'm going to share with you about how to do that in YNAB set that money aside. You can have a separate bank account, like a savings account or a checking account. You can store the tax money there. But every time you get paid or, or actually, no, I'm sorry, about once a month when you do your monthly review, look at how much money came in and set aside between 10 and 20 cents of every dollar for taxes. And if you oversave, that's not a bad thing because you end up with a nice little slush fund in your business. That's, that's a great thing to do. Once your business is over, say six figures, it starts to get into the multi six, fig six figures. I'm going to push that number up to like 20 to 25% of every dollar set aside for taxes. And the big caveat here, or the big thing to be aware of is if you happen to be a high earning person outside of your business and or live in a high earning household outside of your business, then that, that number actually can start to stretch to 30 or 40 cents of every dollar needing to be set aside for taxes. So I've had clients over the years who, you know, made multi six figures in their day job, 
So they're already thrown up into a very high tax bracket. And then they add just a little bit of business profit on top of that. Well, because of how our tax system works, as much as 50 cents of every dollar can end up going to taxes when you already are adding those dollars to a very high annual income in your household. So there's no, there's no absolute rule, but if you were to take 20 cents of every dollar instead of decide for taxes and then meet with your accountant a couple times a year, like right around tax time. And then sometime in the fall to check in on whether you're, you're saving the right amount for taxes, you're never going to go wrong. You're never going to get caught off guard and shocked. And uh, many of you in your, in the early days of your business where you're kind of breaking, breaking even or losing a little money in your business and from a profit and loss perspective, you won't have any taxes associated with your business. You'll have your household taxes, but the business won't be adding to those taxes because it's not generating any profit. Uh, Jenny suggests, by the way, that you don't just hire a bookkeeper and a, an accountant, a tax professional. You also hire a lawyer. Hmm. So I think that's, that's sage advice. Anybody else have questions, comments, concerns about the management of cash day-to-day in their business? I mean, somebody's got to ask me how much they should be spending on advertising. I never get away without being asked that question. I'll answer it because I always answer it. I think you need to pick an amount of money that you're willing to spend on advertising. And that, that amount might be zero, but I think you need to pick an amount of money that you're willing to spend on advertising and then spend it and then do your very best to see the relationship between the amount of money you're spending on ads and the key results in your business. So I was talking to a client the other day who uh, I, I do still help her manage her cash and she's considering whether to start paying for advertising on Facebook. And she said, can you give me any guidance about how to think about that? And I said, well, um, we'll just use hypotheticals. I won't use her actual numbers, but I said, let's say uh, you have a, a $2,000 product in your business and you have a $20,000 product in your business. It is a very common strategy to say, I am willing to spend every penny that the $2,000 product brings in on ads and then have the rest of the business operations and profit be paid for out of the $20,000 purchases. So if we think of something, uh, the word I will use often is acquisition engine, meaning the engine that acquires clients for you and your business. If we think about how much I'm going to spend on the acquisition engine, then I might say 100% of the front end product will be spent on acquisition and 0% of the back end product will be spent on acquisition. It's just a guide. It's a framework for thinking about this. It's very common. And you could play with percentages too. So if I have this $2,000 product, you'll say, I would love to spend only $500 acquiring the $2,000 customer and then get the back end customer for free because they already came in through that front end acquisition engine. Then it becomes a game of experimentation. Can I acquire a customer for $500? Does it actually cost eight? Does it actually cost 2,500 to make a $2,000 sale? Well, now I need to work with my Facebook ads partner, which might be me. Some of my clients do their own Facebook ads management to figure out, do I, how do I change this machine so that it actually works the way I need it to? I would not encourage people to spend on ads in a black box, meaning uh, I, I wouldn't encourage someone to say, well, I just set a thousand dollar per month Facebook ads budget 
and I just spend it and then hopefully it works out. It's not that I think that's a total disaster. I still think that can pay off for some, for a person. I think it's less likely to pay off than spending with some intention and having some indicators as to whether the spending is doing what you want it to do. So tying it to a product, tying it to a number, whether it's a, a, the sale of a product or a certain number of opt-ins to your email list, tying it to some number allows you to run tests a little bit more thoughtfully and clearly. So you can say, oh, I thought I was going to be able to acquire email addresses for $5 each, but it's costing me 15. Does the business still work if I'm doing that? And you, then you try to answer those questions. Frankly, it's not easy to answer those questions. I, this, is, I, this is why I don't advertise. I never have. Do I miss out on some great things because I don't advertise? Yes, I do. And I've chosen to accept that in order to avoid the advertising game altogether. Someday might I advertise? Maybe. But I don't feel much pull to it. Okay, I don't think anybody's going to ask me any other questions about managing cash. So I'll just tell all of you to watch your inboxes. And if you want to watch my videos about how I manage cash in You Need a Budget and how I think you could all do that right around the first of the month. I Because I think it's clear by now, but my workflow, my, my uh, Taryn, the bookkeeper, and I, our workflow is we do an update right around the first of the month. Import everything, categorize everything, send you notes on, hey, you should have all gotten this email last night. Here's a few transactions we need help with. You answer those, then we prepare your financial statements. So somewhere between the 5th and the 10th of the month, I think would be a fantastic time for all of you to look at your business money for 15 minutes. And I think that's going to be sufficient. All right, uh, moving on. So now we're kind of going into open coaching, open Q&A. Uh, Melissa says, I would love for you to share your thoughts on how to think when you're pricing or adjusting pricing on one-on-one -on -one coaching. Okay. It's a good question. So you're not asking me how to price or adjust pricing. You're asking me how to think while you're doing it. <laughs> That's pretty good. How to think about it. The baseline thought that I'll share with you is nothing is permanent. Nothing has to be permanent. Over the years, I have definitely myself and, and also heard many, many clients fret a lot about quote unquote, locking themselves in at a new price. Now I will not pretend that there are no consequences to let's say raising a price and then backing off that price uh, because it, it, yeah. I mean, it's going to look a certain way to the people who are aware of the change you're making. People can have perceptions around, oh, they're raising their price. So they're pricing me out or, oh, Mark raised his price, but then he lowered it. I guess that didn't work. I hope his business is okay. People will draw conclusions about your business based on your pricing alone and changes to that pricing. It's one of the only clear signals we have about a business. And so since humans are meaning makers, we will make meaning based on the information we have. So if they see your price jumping around, they're probably going to make that mean something. The question is whether that's a problem. And in the short term, it may feel like a big problem. And in the long term, I don't think it's a problem at all. How to think while you're uh, pricing it or adjusting your pricing. 
I also think that you want to anchor yourself in some way. Now, depending on your baseline thinking, I know that I am a chronic underpricer. I'm mean, it's chronic. It's <laughs> I, I, I'm an underpricer and I need to work on my thoughts about that. I need to work on the label that I've given myself that I'm an underpricer. I can work on all of this. I think it's useful to have an anchor just so you feel like you're not totally floating in space with nothing, nothing to push off of. So the, 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 the early or the, the anchor that most people start with is a hundred bucks an hour, or that's the anchor that I've been familiar with people saying, Oh, I'm, you know, it's like about a hundred bucks an hour. And then they start to think in terms of multiples of that. Oh, well, I'm 200 bucks an hour. That's double where I started or 300 or whatever. What you want to be thinking about as you anchor yourself is possibility I think you want to spend your time in possibility, meaning is there any scenario where someone would pay their coach thousands of dollars per hour? Under what circumstances would someone pay that? Would they even be thinking in uh, per hour terms if they were think if, if they were paying that I, I know of one-on-one coaching businesses that do charge the highest one that I'm aware of personally, the effective hourly rate is in the 1500 per hour range, but that's not how she talks about it. And that's not how her clients think about it. What they think is this coach is my thought partner. This coach is sort of one of the anchors for my, my mindset for me staying on track. And so I pay her what I pay her. So yeah, yeah, I know I'm kind of, I'm kind of hunting for an answer here and it's because I don't know that I have perfect clarity on it. But my thought would be when you're thinking about pricing, spend time with possible, spend as much time with possibility as you do with whatever your definition of reality is. And be willing to fail and be willing to back off. Now, there was, uh, there was a period of time where I, this is my CFO service, but my CFO service went from 200 to 300 to 500. These are monthly fees, 200, 300, 500, 600, 1000 total meltdown. I could not handle it. I was, that was the worst phase of my business. When I went from 600 to a thousand, I had such a mental breakdown about the new price that I backed, I went, I backed off and went back to 600. And in the meantime, lost some clients and then went from 600 to 3000 and spent three years almost four, four years at 3000. And then from there, my business is transitioning more to, uh, well, the sliding scale fee structure with let's do the books. So yeah, I, I experimented with price increases and I had a total meltdown. That was a basket case. And then it all worked out. Maybe my summary on all of that is don't make any single price change mean too much. Don't make it mean anything final. Don't make it mean, don't mean it, don't make it mean anything too good or too bad. I would, uh, that's what I would say about price changes. Um, Jenny asks thoughts on service-based businesses, adding a course to their offerings. I'm open to come on for coaching. Yeah. Jump on Jenny. Let's chat. I've done this. So let's talk about it.
Can you hear me? Hello, friend. Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yeah, and while you're here in front of everybody, I want to ask, do you have a sales page template for me that will make it very easy for me to write my sales page? I sent you an email. <laughs> oh, you did? Yes. Listen, one of the reasons you all want to hire Jenny is that she makes the copywriting, especially if your brain is like my brain, she makes the copywriting process way easier because she gives you templates to follow and she gives you deadlines. So what you do is you wait till 11.50 PM on the day of the deadline, and then you open up Jenny's template, and then it takes you 10 minutes to write your copy. It's the best. Anyway, you want to you start a course? Well, I'm kind of already on the path to doing that. You're doing um, a course. Awesome. Yeah. I feel like, you know, my services are priced high enough now that I want to still be able to like contribute to, you know, the new coach just starting out and it doesn't make sense for them to buy a super expensive website for me, but I still want to like help them and make it easier for them to create their first website. So I guess <clears throat> kind of like my, my question, I could get really in the weeds here, but I wanted to just like run it by you really fast and before doing that and see like, what are your thoughts on it? Just generally speaking, cause that kind of applies to coaches too. Like coaches that want to totally do does. Of course. I don't, with very few exceptions, I don't think I've ever met a coach who, when I asked them what they want to do, their answer wasn't some version of everything. So what do you want to do in your business? They're like, ah, yeah, everything. Okay. Um, so yeah, they want to make courses. They want to do retreats. They want to do groups and, and Hey, why not? It's a fun world. That's a fun thing to do. Let's do the books.com started as a course in 2016, 2017. It was a $197 video course, four hours of videos, walking people through how to do what I do using you need a budget. Do you think anybody wants to watch four hours of videos about how to do what I do and you need a budget? I don't think they do. My stats on my video host told me that no one wanted to do that. So in your course creation, I would encourage you to make it highly digestible, which might mean short, it might not. So I would say that, um, would I say I much else? I think that's my, that's probably my biggest challenge is making the tech digestible and consumable and doable for everyone. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. The tech. What if, what if you did a course on how their first website is their Instagram page or something that's neither here nor there discard my dumb ideas. Yeah. The, the tech is, uh, the tech is the obstacle, isn't it? I mean, I could even create a course that wasn't, wasn't about a website at all. It just, it said, you don't even need the website. Here are the things to set up when you first start your business. And it would include things like domain email and acuity and a Facebook page and a, you know. Oh, I think that would be really super helpful. <laughs> I really do. I think that would be, see courses. I think good courses are as much about what a person shouldn't do or doesn't need to think about, doesn't need to worry about as, as what they do need to do and how to do it. So if you, with your expert expertise and with your trusted name in the, in the marketplace were to say, I sell super expensive websites and let me make the case for why in this very specific phase of your business, you don't need to worry about that. Start here. 
I, it's a very compelling offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and another, another option that I considered as I was figuring, just trying to decide what scope do I want this course to cover, which obviously I'm still in the throes of figuring that out is like, what sort of website am I teaching them how to make? And I know you and I have talked about this before. Like, do I teach them how to make like literally the one page website that has an opt-in and a scheduling button and that's it? Or do I, that would know, be my vote. Them? Yeah. Like that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. I was like, I could teach them how to do the whole thing and the blog and everything, but that's going to be like, so overwhelming probably. Teach them how and to I create can... a mod. It's a modern business card online. That's what it is. It's a mm-hmm. place where someone can land as they start a relationship with that new coach. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, I, I think that would be amazing actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, and then I can always have like a bonus that's like, here's how to add a blog to your one page website or something like that, because some people will want to do that, but yeah, some people will want to do that. Um, but you may never have to do that. See, I, I've thought a lot about because of the people that I interact with in let's do the books and just in my life in general, I think a lot about your service. And I think, when would I send someone to Jenny? Because not everybody, I think, I don't think they have to start with Jenny on day one, although I'm not, I wouldn't discourage them from doing that. But if they say, I want to get some clients and then I want to hire Jenny, I'd say, yeah, awesome. Um, If you were to create a little course for them, that's like, you know, here's the basic tech setup for a business that's going to go generate its first 10 clients, Mm -hmm. something like that. I think it's very compelling. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's very compelling. And need, go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. I, was saying, I wouldn't even need to touch on the website at all, even though that's what I do. So it seems silly not to touch on that, but, but look, I think your, I think your business gives, has a lot of evidence for the fact that people don't really want to touch WordPress. And not only do they not really want to touch WordPress, but like ever, I mean, I know WordPress really well. And I just signed up for a care plan because I don't want to touch WordPress anymore. I don't even want to touch it. Uh, A care plan with Jenny, for those of you listening. So um, maybe we don't ever, maybe you just don't make WordPress part of it. It's just, look, when it's website time, let's get you a website. I'll do that. Or or when it's something beyond the one page website. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure what you're going to do is going to be great. It's going to be great. It's just a matter of deciding. And I'm like copying and pasting all your comments. So thanks, Heather and Amanda, for your input. Like we can oh, good. You're getting comments. <laughs> um, I wonder if anybody went, like if coaches ever think about, oh, if I create a course, am I going to cannibalize my coaching business? Uh, maybe people mm-hmm. don't have that concern. Or in your case, if I create a course, will I cannibalize my service business? And I don't think so because, because they lead into each other. Like not only do they lead into each other, but I think the course create the course purchaser is a fundamentally different buyer than a service purchaser or a coaching purchaser. I am personally at a phase where you, there's no, you cannot get me to buy a course. I've admitted to myself, I will never open it. I'll never start the first video. I'll never do it. And I don't want a course. I want an expert either. I want their brain or I want their hands, but I don't, I don't want a video. 
so it's a different to me it's a different customer and we don't we don't have to worry about that kind of cannibalism in the business i don't know if i have any other thoughts about it do you have any other thoughts about it i mean i guess another question is like pricing for something like this but i think it's just so arbitrary that it doesn't even really matter it's totally arbitrary and the question that i always ask people to ask themselves when it comes to course pricing or any any other product really what is this thing's job in your business? Is it profit? Do you, do you want to look in, in your monthly review? Do you want to see that that course is equal to the amount that you pay yourself? And you're kind of saying, oh, the course pays the bills now. Like, that's interesting. Or uh, do you want to look at the course and say, okay, the course is doing its job because I sold 20 of them in the last month. And I know that if I'm selling 20 a month, then I know that's my pipeline for my, my, my service business downstream and I'm totally happy. And if, if it's a, a game where you want there to be slightly more volume, you care more about the number of customers than the amount of money, then that pushes you to a lower price. And if you care more about the amount of money than the number of customers, on average, I think that pushes to a higher price. Uh, I don't know if, D, I think Dino was here earlier. I think Dino, what Dino's doing with Brand in a Box is brilliant. It's, it's high ticket as it relates to sort of a course experience, but that's going to be a profit center in Dina's business. And I think that's its job. So I'm glad, Dina, I'm glad you're wherever you are. I'm glad you're pricing that high because its job is not to really be funnel for your work. Its job is to put money into your pocket. Whereas for me, I think this course is going to be more like they take the course and then they get on a care plan. If indeed it ends up being something where I teach them how to build a WordPress one page website, they get on a care plan. And then in two to three years, when they're making multiple six figures, then they're like, all right, Jenny, build me like a legit big full blown. Oh, thing. okay. Hold on. Is that your, is that your map in your head? Maybe. Course? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. I'm super excited about it. Okay. If the path in your mind is course care plan website, as opposed to course website care plan. I'm even more excited. Cool. Uh, Cause I love your care plan as a, as a profit center for you. I think it's brilliant. I'm going to turn myself off now. So I don't hog anymore. <laughs> Fun to talk to you. Uh, by the way, co good comments in the chat today. I'm going to read some of them. Um, Amanda says, uh, just to like create a video, like the one we share with newbies that walk you through it step-by-step then add-ons for different customizations. I think that's a cool idea. Uh, Junaid says, Jenny, you could create some sort of audience segmenter tool, like a quiz for the services you offer. That's a cool idea. Um, Amanda says her courses were 3% of her revenue last year. So her courses are I think they're doing something in her business, but putting money in her pocket is not really the thing they're doing. And Rob says at, at one point his course saved his business. So that's cool. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I never want to present myself as sort of anti anything. I'm not anti course. I'm not anti retreat or anti groups. We just always want to be thinking, why am I doing the thing I'm doing? And what is its job in my business? what is this thing's job in my business? And then we go do it. And later we can evaluate whether it's doing the job we hired it for, quote unquote, hired it for. 
in our business. Um, yo, I saw you in the chat say, I'd love to be coached. So if you want to jump on screen, if you're still here, I hope you're still here. I'd love to chat with you. Hey, what's up? There you are. Hi, yo. Hey, thanks so much for, um, like all your beginning words, because I think it had to do with my email that I sent you like a month ago. <laughs> so it was, Oh, uh, maybe that was in my I head, but you didn't say anything yeah. wrong. That's for sure. Or no, it was nothing wrong. It was like, my question was like, what am I supposed to do about my business money? <laughs> so but oh, like, yeah, okay. how yeah. you like laid it out was like simple. And I'm like, yeah, that's totally me. Like, I'm just like this small, I'm just beginning, but that's not exactly what I wanted to get on to get coached on. Um, so as I'm listening to all this and then you're talking about, what did you say? Something about like, don't, don't feel like you have to buy courses or question why you need to buy courses. And is it about FOMO? And I was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And then this thought came up to me and um, I don't think it was my brain. I think it was really kind of like my inner wisdom that said, mm. you know, you don't have to sign up for this thing that you're planning on signing up for. Yeah. And my fir- and then of course my brain pops in and is like, no, we have to do that. Like, and as I'm talking to you about this, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. <laughs> so I'm like, well, let's just get coached on it. <laughs> so here um, it is. Well, I'll, so I'll give you what I think is a a guiding principle, and then we can get as Mm -hmm. specific as you want. For me, the guiding principle for any purchase that we're going to make is, and I've said this, but what job am I hiring this thing to do? And especially for newish businesses, the only job that I think newish businesses really need or should want to hire uh, for is, is this going to introduce me or help me meet my next client, build a relationship with them and enroll them in my coaching? Yeah. As a, as maybe a companion to that, I will say investing in the improvement of your coaching to a point I personally can be excited about. Meaning if you really if you just don't feel confident in your ability to have a great interaction with a client and leave them better off, leave them excited about the experience. Yeah. Okay. Let's look at improving the product, which is you and your coaching. But other than that, will the thing I'm purchasing help me meet and enroll my next client? Yeah. And I would have to say like right now, the answer is no. And I'm going to share what it is. Um, you don't have so to. it. So I've been like, um, so I'm just trying to think about, okay, let me like gather up all the specifics in my brain right now. So I signed up for the, um, the LDS, um, like life coach directory mm-hmm. and love it. But then and that's when, and this, that's what I was thinking about. And then, you know, this thought came up of, you know, you don't have to do that. And so, and so my first thought is, yes, I do. <laughs> like I'm LDS. I should be on there. Like I need to be on there. But that okay. thought like really brings in a lot of like anxiety for me. The thought that you and should be on there or that you have to do it. What, which thought? I think it is that I I have to be on there. 
Okay. I mean, and I'll give so you, that... I'll give you my thought and you can decide what to do with my thought. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to be on there. No one yeah. has to do it. One of my, this, one of my favorite quotes about coaching is from a guy named Rich Litvin, co-author of the a prosperous coach, my favorite book about coaching in that book. He says something like no one needs a coach, but some people want one. And I think that is so powerful because it, it just, it's like a pressure release valve, that sentence. And this is a guy who makes and has made millions of dollars in coaching. No one needs a coach, but some people want one. So Heather's part of our community here. I think the LDS life coach directory is a great, remember how I just said, I think coaches should be hiring things that help them meet and or enroll their next client. That yeah. is the express purpose of that directory. So I think that's aligned. I just want to remove the pressure of you feeling like you have to do it. You don't have to do it. Yeah. And I think that like feeling like I have to do something is, yeah, you're right. Is the one that's, that's the aspect of it. That's, that's making me feel really anxious. And even though you tell me I don't have to, it's, and this is probably a lot of like thought work I'm going to have to work on, but I feel like, no, I have to be on there. Yeah, it, it is just some thought work and maybe an, an entry to that thought work is um, the current question in your mind is, do I have to or not? And you're answering that with, yes, I have to. And that's generating a lot of pressure for you. I would shift the question if I could. And it's just to the question I already said, which is what job am I hiring the LDS life coach directory for? That's not a yes or no yeah. question. That's a question that can lead to some journaling, some thought downloads. You can look at it. Then you can look at it in the context of alternatives. You can say, well, I could either sign up for the LDS life coach directory, or I could buy that many dollars worth of Facebook ads, or you look at options and now you can weigh options against each other, which completely removes you from the idea of have to, or don't have to, and puts you into the frame of can or, or, uh, choose to, or choose not to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually that I can tell that you, like when you presented that question to me in that way, that like my anxiety is going down and I'm like thinking about it more clearly. Here's I'm glad because the, the problem that a have to question can create is if you make a decision from a place of have to, I think it sets you up to possibly second guess that decision later. Even if it ends up giving a lot of evidence for being a good decision, you can look back at it later and say, I just knew I had to, or I just thought I had to. And it'll leave the question open in your mind. But if you approach it from choose to or choose not to based on my options, based on alternatives, then when you decide to do it, you look back and say, oh, I evaluated my options and I thought it was the best use of, of those dollars. So it closes the question in your mind or something closer to closing the question in your mind. Yeah, I like that because, because then, because I can see myself and just because it's like past you know, just past like thought patterns that if I did choose it from having to, then I would always, I would always, there'd be a part of my thought work that would be like indecision, like 
did I really make the right decision? Maybe yeah. I did. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe. And then I'm like in a lot of maybes, right? Instead of, like you said, closing the loop and then moving forward. Yeah. So, okay. That's what I need to hear. I think another interesting exercise for you, by the way, in this process is, uh, give yourself some time and space to, to explore why you have to, why do I have to? And then that'll, that's going to give you some thoughts that you can then look at and challenge and decide you like, or decide you don't like, but. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Um, it's really deep into like those, those like underlying beliefs that I have. Okay. Great question. Thank you. I yeah. it. Great to talk to you, Hyo. Uh, in the chat, Amanda says agency is always more empowering than shoulds. And I couldn't agree more. I think that's beautifully said. Uh, anybody else? we got a few minutes left here. Anybody else want to chat about any old thing? Mark, can I ask you a question? This is Heather. Yeah, speak of the devil. I know. And Hyo. Don't ever feel like you have to be there, though. I love having you there. You don't ever have to feel like you have to be there. Okay. I'm trying to start my video. I love, you. I? <laughs> I love you. So, okay. This is, I feel like I should know the answer to this question and, but I don't. So I have a couple people I need to get 1099s for and where, oh, yeah. where, where do I do that? How do I do that? I, would, I saw your email. So, oh, you did. We'll, we'll help you do that. Uh, I'll put okay. this on this recording so that we, um, just, I want to start spreading this awareness in the community. Um, we want to be helpful with 1099s, but it's just an area where our system is still not great. Okay. And so we just have room to grow there. But, Which is uh, totally fine. I just didn't know, like, if that's something I get from you or if that's something I need to get from my tax person or whatever I need to do. So uh, this year I want to, well, I always want to be helpful to you. This year we'll take, we'll do like right now, we'll do more of a hands-on more hands-on support than we will in sub in future years. In future years, we want to make that easy for you to just take care of yourself. Because most of our yeah. clients typically they average sort of one to three 1099s that they need to issue. Mm -hmm. And that that's a five-minute job. So okay. But only and that's if you know right. how to do I it. have two. Yeah. And we haven't we haven't shown you. So be patient with us and we'll uh, we'll get it out. Oh, totally by the way, fine. I just didn't yeah. oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just said, I didn't know that you had seen my aunt. I don't know where those emails go, if they're going to you or somebody else. So I was like, oh, I'll just ask Mark. Why oh, I see him. him. Yeah, I see him. So thanks for your patience. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, what I was going to say is for all of you who would love to never have to think about a 1099, all you have to do to avoid a 1099 is to pay people either with a credit card or through a PayPal account. And then you never have to think about a 1099. You only have to think about 1099s if you pay them with, uh, something like cash, which means a wire transfer or Zelle or uh, bill pay or an actual paper check or stuff like that. Venmo. But if you just pay them with a credit card or PayPal, no 1099s. Learned something new. Thanks, Mark. Uh, great to chat with you. Anybody else? Uh, Junaid says PayPal is a general term for Stripe and others. Yeah, I, meaning you know, if I'm paying them through PayPal or through Stripe or any of these, yes. And I appreciate the clarification because everything that you purchase with a credit card. So if you pay your coach with a credit card, if you uh, you know 
buy courses or whatever, you don't need, you definitely don't need to worry about giving any of them 1099s. If you have a virtual assistant, if you have a web designer that you use, if you have, uh, you know, if you hire Jenny to do your website, if you like all of these things, if you pay for those things with a credit card, you don't need to worry about a 1099. If you pay for those things with any form of cash, like a check or a bill pay or stuff like that, you will likely have to worry about a 1099. And um, it's just this little administrative hassle that I would skip if I possibly could. Okay, we're going to wind down. And as part of winding down, I'm going to make a little announcement. On September 20th and 21st, I am hosting a conference here in Salt Lake City called the Beautiful Business Conference. All of you are invited. It costs $100, so it breaks the bank. Um, I'm putting the link, let's do the books.com forward slash conference in the chat. This is a two-day conference dedicated to the business and the practice of one-on-one -on -one coaching. Now, so if you, if you love and have plans to build a business around one-on-one -on -one coaching, you should absolutely be there. If you have plans to include some one-on-one -on -one in your business and some other stuff, I would still encourage you to be there. If you don't have any plans to do one-on-one -on -one coaching or you hope to get away from it as quickly as possible, uh, don't come. Because my experience in the coaching world is that I, I see one-on-one -on -one coaching being overlooked as a viable option for making an amazing living and having an amazing lifestyle. I'm not anti-membership. I'm not anti-group. I'm not anti-stuff it just seems to me that especially in our little community of coaches, one-on-one -on -one coaching gets looked is viewed often as a stepping stone to other better things. And I don't think it needs to be viewed as a stepping stone. I think it is a fantastic business all by itself. And I want to give it some airtime. So September 20th and 21st, Tuesday and Wednesday, Salt Lake city, Utah, the beautiful business conference please come and please tell all of your friends. It's also a great exercise in, uh, I'm trying to model the marketing and the behaviors that I think can work for one-on-one -on -one coaches by launching this conference. So I'm extending a lot of one-on-one -on -one invitations. And a lot of you may hear from me individually, not only to invite you personally, but to ask you who you think I should invite. Because I'd love to see some seats filled as we talk about this. Okay, folks, I think that's it for the day. We're going to put this on the uh, private podcast feed and you can watch your inboxes tomorrow for short video series about how to do a monthly cash flow management process in your, in your business. Oh, thank you. Heather says she's sharing it with the community right now. Thanks everybody. Always fun to chat with you. Thanks for letting me be your bookkeeper. I love it. It's such a fantastic job. I'm really grateful for the work and for the relationships that we have. And I will talk to you next month. We'll see you.